six testimony. I'm going to ask Miss Erlene Hayworth to come forward. This is a testimony that we're doing here for several Sundays. There you go. Uh, allowing you all to hear how God has worked in people's lives in our church, for you to be encouraged by that, and also for you to understand our people a little bit better, know each other. One of the, one of the things we desire for in, in belonging to a church is that we would uh, know people and be known by people so that God may work in our lives. And that's what we have going on with these testimonies. Uh, Philippians 1.6, Paul says to the church, I am confident of this very thing, that the God who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. What an encouraging verse for the church. Paul's letting them know that, hey, he started it, he will finish it. Hey, I know you're not where you uh, are hoping to be. You're not where you're going to be. I know you're not perfect yet. I know things aren't like heaven yet. But look back and see that I'm working in your life. You're not what you used to be. You know me now. And that's the, that's the purpose of these testimonies, to encourage you all uh, with that good Bible truth. So, Ms. Erlene, thank you for being willing. Let me ask you first, how did you come to know Christ? When I was about 24, give or take a little bit, Gordon and I had been married for about a year and a half, and we were buying our first home. And uh, the realtor was one of many people who witnessed to me and she also offered to take me to church with her and her family. At that time, Gordon was working in restaurants, so he's busy on a lot of Sundays. And so I began to go with her and her family. Uh, and at the time, I thought I was a Christian. I believed that there was a God out there. And I had gone to church some. I was even baptized. Um, but when I went to church with her and began attended Sunday school and worship and everything, I began to realize that those people had a relationship with Jesus personally and didn't speak to him. You know, when they prayed, they really expected something to happen. Yeah. It wasn't just recite something at a mealtime or something. So I came to the place where I realized I really wasn't saved yet and that I needed to ask Jesus into my heart and really to take over my life, because I don't, I don't do so well on my own. I kind of need him in charge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was hoping at that time that there would be like bells ringing, you know, or lightning flashing or something, but I didn't really feel different. But shortly after that, Gordon and I got into this discussion, if you will, one of those kinds that leaves you in tears and upset and angry and all that. So I walked into the bedroom, and I opened my Bible and just pointed to a page, hoping that somehow, miraculously, that would be my answer, and it wasn't. And I said, God, I'm a Christian now. You've got to fix this. Hmm. That's how reverently I was praying at the time. But he heard me. I started paging through some home life magazines. At that time, all the Baptist churches were handing out home life magazines to everybody. And I saw several articles about women who were recently widowed, and God was helping them through that time period in their lives. And I felt like I heard God telling me, Erlene, go into that next room. You've got a living, healthy husband right there. Go make up. Mm. So I did. I went in there, and I cried all over, and we made up. And that's really great, but that's not like the biggest part of the story. The biggest part of the story to me 
is that now I had that personal relationship with Jesus, and he proved it. He confirmed mm. it by not just being the God out there who put stars in space, but listening to my heart. Mm. Okay. Well, praise the Lord. Uh, so how old were you? About 24. 24, okay. I want to make a comment that, that it was her realtor that influenced her, that invited her to church. You know, so often we think that in whatever position we are, we can't be a witness to Christ. Even I, a preacher, would be thinking that if I was a realtor trying to lead somebody to Jesus or take them to church, that it would hurt the cell. Wouldn't you be thinking that? But not her realtor, and praise the Lord for that. Uh, well, I thank God for her, his or her boldness to try to sell you a house and at the same time point you to Jesus. And I also am thankful that it was through that situation uh, with your husband. Through the years, we actually bought several houses from her. Okay. <laughs> good. That's good. All right. So, so next question. Since then, since you got saved at age 24, what do you look back on and see was a season that God grew you? There were a couple. One of them was a really, really rough time, but one of them was actually a really, really good time. Uh, some ladies invited me into a, a small group Bible study that met during the week. And these were some of the most godly women you can just ever imagine. We talked about everything. Tithing, husbands, children, suffering, all of it from the perspective of the Bible. What does God think about these things and how does God want me to live hmm. in relation to all of these things. Yeah. And it was, it was just amazing. Yeah. Mm. That, that, that's good to hear. It is so important in a church, like I said, introducing this, that you uh, allow yourself to move into a relationship where you can be known and know people. Somebody can hold you accountable, understand what you're going through, love on you, encourage you, and through that, the Lord be growing you and discipling you. That, that's awesome. That that's your testimony. Okay, so uh, what about now? How is God growing you now? Right now, God's working on me, and he's using several people and several circumstances to do it to help me learn to be content wherever he puts me in whatever circumstances he puts me, and not just to resign myself to that, but to thrive yeah. there mm. with him working through me. Yeah, mm. praise the Lord. We, we, we all need to learn that. that. That's where we all are, and that's the point of these testimonies, that we are a work in progress, and, and God is working. Well, Erlene, thank you for that. Church, join me as we pray for her. Uh, Father in heaven, we love you. We thank you so much for Miss Erlene Hayworth. God, we thank you that you saved her, have brought her to Jesus, forgiven her of her sins, washed her in the blood of Christ. And God, we thank you that she sees that you're still working in her life. What a, what a great Savior you are. And we pray your blessing upon her, God. Help us to be a good church to her and help her to be a good church back to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you, Miss Arlene. Thank you. All right, let's look in the Bible to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6, if you didn't bring a Bible, you can grab the pew Bible there in front of you. It'll be page 925. I woke up today knowing it was going to be a good Sunday. All of you should be happy, both for both UK and UofL won this weekend. So we should have nobody upset. Football's going great for everybody in this state. A little bit better for one of the schools, but we won't talk about that. Mark chapter 6, we're going to move right along. 
get to this passage where Jesus walks on water. If you know much about Jesus, you've probably heard before that he can walk on water. If you believe in him and know him, then that's not surprising to you. If you've never heard of him, that might surprise you. But yes, we want you to know that our God, our Lord and Savior, Jesus, can walk on water. He's able to do that. Matter of fact, he can do anything he wants. If he wanted, he could jump off the water and just walk through the air if he wanted to do that as well. This is our God in a man, the Lord Jesus, and nothing uh, can stop him. And in our passage today, he walks on water. And I want us to see in this passage how he's working with his disciples. It's interesting. There are many things in the Gospels as you're reading them that you think that you're understanding, and the further you get, he, he, he raises more questions, or in us creates more questions, and so that he can provide, provide more answers. You need to know this about Christianity. We're not just these people who've come to church and, okay, now you know Jesus and, the, and, and you're done and you just have to learn to be disciplined to be here. No, we are constantly, constantly growing in our knowledge and understanding and love with Jesus. We're growing in our relationship with God. If you've been a part of the church for 10 years, you've still got a long way to go. If you've been a part of the church for 50 years, you've still got a long way to go. It's, it's God Almighty. We are never going to know and understand Him completely until we get to heaven. So those of you that are Christians aren't just here today because God says you should be. You're here today because you want to know Him better. I'm the pastor of the church, and I'm here today. I need to know Him better. I want to understand more. And as you read the Bible, you see that this is happening. What happens is you're not every week thinking, well, I'm almost, almost finished with knowing him. In, in fact, the opposite happens. You're thinking, man, I, I, I've got a long way to go. I'm a work in progress, yes, but there's so much more I want to know. But God is so awesome and appealing and, and, a, and a consuming fire, if you will, like Hebrews says, that you're drawn to him. It's like, I, I know a little bit, I want to know a little bit more. I know a little bit more, I want to know a lot more. I know a lot more. I want to know it all. I want to know him. I want to know Jesus. And this passage today, I feel, really, really brings that out. It's the passage of Jesus walking on water. You have this passage also in Matthew. We read it. Austin read it with the New Testament reading. We have this passage also in the Gospel of John, a shortened version of it. So Matthew, Mark, and John all tell the story of Jesus walking on water. Read with me, if you will, at Mark 6, beginning in verse 45. We're going to read 45 to 50. Two. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land, and he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost. And they cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. And they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts 
were hardened. Let me give you three points today from this passage. Number one, the struggle is real. The struggle is real. Number two, the separation is real. The separation is real. Number three, the Savior is real. The struggle is real. The separation is real. And then lastly, the Savior is real. So let's begin here with the struggle is real. The passage comes to us right after, immediately after, Mark says, Jesus has just fed over 5,000 people when there was not food. If there was ever a miracle, that was a miracle. Five loaves, two fish, 5,000 plus people have eaten. There's even enough to take up leftovers. An amazing story. Jesus did it. He's able to do that. Immediately after that, Jesus, same day, same afternoon, Jesus dismisses the disciples, tells them to get in the boat and go ahead. He has intentionally on his part separated himself from them. They go on to the other side. It's like, hey, guys, I'll catch up with you all. I've got a few things to do. He goes on. After he had taken leave of them, verse 46 says, he went up on the mountain to pray. And it seems like I'm continuing to make this point Week after week, you remember I talked about it last week, if you're too busy to eat or if you're too busy to rest, you remember me saying that last week because it was in the passage there, that was part of the problem. They were so busy and so crowded, they could not rest, they could not find leisure, they could not even eat, and I tried to rebuke you all for being that way, that's not right, that's not trusting in Christ as Lord. But my first point today is that the struggle is real. And I know that that's become a common phrase when we've got small struggles, but I want to use the point, the struggle is real, to, 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 to remind you all that that is very true. To struggle in life is a real thing. Life is not easy. At times, life is not good. At times, life truly is a struggle, and you need to know it. Life is hard. Many times I'm wanting to lead into conversations with people in and around our church or in and around the community who are trying to understand what it means to know God and have a relationship with Him and follow Jesus with this. Well, you need to know from the beginning, from the outset, life is a struggle. It's not going to get smoother necessarily. It's not going to get easier just because days don't all of a sudden turn better. You should keep your head up, yes, but the struggle is real. Now, before I get into why their struggle was real, I want to point out to you that even with life being hard, the Lord Jesus separates himself from them so that he can pray. And this isn't my main point with the struggle is real, but I want to give a little sub-point here today and ask, it, perhaps is the struggle even more so real to you in life and as a church person or as a Christian because you don't know how to do what Jesus just did? Do you see what he does? Jesus is trying to get to the other side to go do something with the disciples. But he's got something else that needs to be done. So he's willing to say no, to separate himself from them, let them go ahead. I'll catch up with you all later. I'm going to pray. When was the last time you turned down an invitation? When was the last time that you said no to something, not so that you can go and, and, and do something else, but so you could pace yourself, organize, stay structured, discipline, but so that you could pray? 
Perhaps the struggle's real in your life because you're out of control, you have no calendar, you don't know how to say yes, you don't know how to say no, and so life is all over the place. Perhaps all you do is go to bed late, wake up early, and run frantically all the way through. And you are a Christian that wish you could pray, but you're not a Christian that prays. Is the struggle real for you because you don't pray? Is the struggle real for you because you don't pray because you've just got so much going on? Well, how about the next time that everybody wants to get together and watch a movie, you tell them, I'll catch up. I'll be there in a half hour. Well, what about the next time that everybody else wants to go do what they always do? I don't know what your friends or, or people always do, but perhaps they're going to do what y'all always do. Maybe it's that you, you always go and work out. Maybe it's that you always go and shop together. Maybe it's that you always go to the coffee shop. I don't know what you and your people do. I don't know what you do with your free time. But what about considering, y'all go on ahead without me. I need to gather myself for the glory of God. I really would like to go with you all. I know you're going to have a good time. But I have a Father in heaven that I've been neglecting. I've got a Lord Jesus Christ who I want my eyes on, and I've not been as focused as I need to be. It's fascinating that Jesus sends them on ahead, and verse 46 says that after that, he went up on the mountain to pray. You know, the, the, the passage doesn't tell us, but I wonder if they were thinking, come on, man. I mean, you never hang out with us. You sell out. You're ditching us. Too good for us, huh? What are you going to go do? Go pray? Hang out by yourself? I wonder what they were saying to him. Or if they even noticed. Or I wonder if any of them thought, man, I know he's probably just going to pray. I should be doing that too. He's sitting at home studying, doing his homework. I, I probably should be doing that too. But hey, I, I wonder what that was like. Y'all, the struggle is real in life, and if we're going to be honest and admit that life is hard, like we should be acknowledging life is hard, then we need to have some, some things in place to help us combat it. We need to be able to discipline our lives to say, I want to live for God. We ought to know that God's way is the best way. You've already made a really good step in prioritizing Sunday mornings. It's a priority to you to be at church on a Sunday morning, 1045, to be in worship, to hear the word preached, to allow your, your week, this is the first day of the week, to allow your week to be fed by the word of God. That's fantastic. Allow our whole lives to be this way. Perhaps the struggle is real because we're not like Jesus in this regard. He, notice sent them ahead, and went to pray. But beyond that, the struggle is still real. Look at verse 47, even much more so. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. Here is one way that the struggle is real. Oftentimes, Jesus is not with you. They're on the boat out at a stormy sea. Matthew's account tells us that it was a stormy sea, and the waves were rough, okay? And Jesus is not there. Notice that. Mark's making it very clear. They're out on the sea in the storm, and Jesus is by himself over here. We remember just a few weeks ago that Jesus got in the boat and calmed the storm. Remember that? He was sleeping in the bottom of the boat. Well, now they're on the sea, and now there's a storm, and they can't go wake him up. So if they were scared the first time, they're probably scared again, and there's no Savior God down in the, in, in, in the boat that they can go wake up for him to calm it. Right? 
Jesus is alone there. They are here without him. Perhaps that's you. Are you in the struggle without him? Are you struggling because you don't have him? Are you like Miss Erlene in that, yeah, you know that there's a God, but not really sure how much more you believe in that? Not really sure what he says or what his promises are. You don't know how to believe or trust his promises or stand upon his promises or surrender to his promises because you don't know any of his promises. Are you hoping that going to church is going to solve all your problems, but you haven't really bowed your heart down and said, Christ, forgive me of my sins and have mercy upon me? Can you see today the, the, the big gap in that he, you may be out on the sea in the storm. You may be in the storm now, and Christ is still over on, the, on, on land by himself. That's their situation. Verse 48, what a great verse. And he saw that they were making headway painfully. Is that your story? Are you trying so hard at life right now, but the honest answer would be, you're making headway painfully? Did you chuckle when I said point number one is the struggle is real because you've lately been saying, man, the struggle is real? Are your weeks and days hard? Are they painful? Are your relationships painful? Is looking in the mirror hard? Is the reason why you're not praying because you don't want to get there and open up to God? You know part of the reason why we don't pray is not just because we're busy. We don't want to talk to him. We don't want to hear what he has to say. We know that in prayer, part of what we pray is, God, forgive me of my sins, and we just don't want to go there. Are you making headway painfully? I know he's talking about physically the boat's not moving forward. But it sure does sound like my life many times. I'm making headway painfully. Why weren't they getting where they were going? It says that uh, the wind was against them. Does this sometimes feel like you're rowing upstream? Do you feel like you're supposed to be coasting downhill, but instead you're really struggling uphill? Is the wind against you? Is something against you? I don't know what might be against you. It may be your coworkers or your family or maybe all this, but I want to give you one suggestion of what it might be. The Bible says that God opposes the proud. It's in football season. We're all about opponents, right? Louisville's got Clemson this week with game day. It's going to be huge, and Clemson's trying to bring the fight to Louisville, and Louisville's trying to bring the fight to Clemson. They will be opposing each other. Both coaches are going to get in the locker room and tell them to go and kill them, win this game. They are opposed to each other this week. And the Bible uses that language for God being against you in your pride. He opposes the proud, and he gives grace to the humble. Are you prideful in your heart? Are you trying to convince yourself that it's still okay and that you're right when you know in your heart you need to admit that the struggle is real and you need to bow yourself down? You know today that every time I make the point that you need to slow down and pace yourself and you're just saying, I just don't think that I can. Are you that bullheaded, hard-hearted, hard-headed that you will not slow down even though the Bible keeps reminding us that this is the point? That the God-man, perfect, holy Jesus said, y'all go ahead, I need to pray. But you will not say, y'all go ahead, I need to pray. I don't know what may be against you. 
Are your finances against you and you know that it just means you need to spend less, save more, simple as that, but you're too frustrated to do it? You're too stubborn to do it? Do you know that what needs to happen in your life, you need to dig into the grace of God? You need to seek Him, and yet you're just being held back by your sins and your lusts and your joys. I'm convinced that, yes, the struggle is real. They were making headway painfully. The wind was against them. He was not there. He was alone on the land. They were struggling. The reason why they were struggling so much is not only because the struggle is real, but because, number two, the separation is real. This is a similar point, and I tried to uh, navigate through point number one so I didn't say everything I'm about to say in point number two. The biggest reason why the struggle is real for me and for you in life is because the separation between us and God is real. You need to know this. Y'all, we are not good people that occasionally do wrong. We're not really close to God, and every once in a while we do something that makes us a little bit get away from Him. We are lost in our sins. We are dead in our sins. We are people who are not seeking to do good. We are people who do not know what is right in our own eyes. We are people who do not know the way. Do you remember in John 14 when Jesus is talking about heaven and Thomas says, well, Lord, uh, what is the way? And Jesus says, you know the way how to get there. And Thomas says, Lord, and we don't know the way to heaven. We need to be able to humble ourselves and acknowledge that we are different, separate, other from God. You see this very clear in this passage. I know we like to say that people are angels. I know we like to say that, 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 that somebody does a good deed, that, that, that they're a saint. But you need to have a category in your mind that says there is a separation between us and God, a big separation. God opposes the proud. There's a separation. Notice here in the passage, we're looking at verse 49. When they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost. Now, they had been with him a whole lot. He had just pushed them off from the sea. So the last person they saw on land was him. So the first person they should have thought it could have been would have been him. And they've seen him now raise up dead people. They've seen him now cause people that can't walk the wall. They've, they've seen him now heal demon-possessed people. They've seen him now feed people. They've seen him do all of these miracles. And every time, they're astounded by it. Every time, they are blown away. Every time, they're like, wow, who is this guy? This must be God. This is God. They're, they're like that. But as soon as the storm comes up and somebody comes walking through, their minds do not go to, that's our guy, there's our Savior, here he comes, he's always coming through, that's our Savior, he never lets us down, I knew you'd do it, Jesus. They don't. They didn't even think about that. Why? Because there's a separation between people who are saved by Jesus and, 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 and people who are not. There's a separation between those who know God and those who don't. And there's a separation between God and his people. Separation. I mean, it's not God and his people. God and sinful people. There's a separation. Notice, he comes walking on the sea and they thought it was a ghost, so they cried out. They saw him, they saw him, it says, and they were scared. Yet again, they're scared. 
Now, in this batch, he's going to say, what, 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 did you not remember what just happened with the loaves? But couldn't he have said, don't you remember what just happened last time we were in a storm, on the water, in a boat? Don't you remember what happened there, how I saved you? But they didn't. There's a separation. Verse 50, they saw him and they were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Notice, they're scared. He speaks calm and concern and comfort. Notice the difference. God, in the fourth watch of the night, so 3 a.m. to 6 a.m., God's not worried about anything. The darkness doesn't have him scared. The, 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 the sharks or the stingrays don't have him scared. Whatever else might be happening to have him scared. The storm that Matthew tells him was going on doesn't have him scared. Jesus is just taking a stroll on the top of the ocean, walking on water, and the people are scared to death. There's all types of factors. Matter of fact, the wind has them so scared that they think that they're about to die. They think that they're in danger. Jesus gets in the boat, and what happens? Verse 51, he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. In the other passage, he had to tell the wind to stop, right? And at that passage, Mark, the gospel writer, is wanting us to know that when God talks to nature, nature obeys. When Jesus says, peace be still to the storm it obeyed and their very reaction was who is this man that the wind and the waves obey him mark the gospel writer was wanting us to know jesus is god nature obeys god because he made it but here it's different he didn't even say anything he just climbed in over the boat and i guess as soon as he got into the boat it stopped he didn't even have to say anything he didn't rebuke the wind and the waves here. He didn't say anything. His presence, bam, calmed it down. Jesus moves, the wind responds. They are scared to death. They thought he was a ghost. He's actually their Lord. Remember, they're his disciples. He had just sent them off, and they think that he's a ghost. They're so out of focus here. They're so out of focus. They were terrified. He speaks calm. The wind scares them and endangers them. The wind obeys him. They were astounded by it. Wow, never would have imagined. Unbelievable. How, how did that happen? I don't know what they were so astounded by, but they should have already have known. There's a separation, folks, between God and his great holiness and glory and people that don't get it. You read the passage, we've been reading the passages, and we're already, just in six chapters, coming to expect it, right? The very next passage is going to tell us that people are now bringing people to him, and they're going to be connected to Jesus. Why? Because they're learning that Jesus can do mighty works in their lives. Separation is real. I want to ask you here today, have you admitted, acknowledged, accepted that you don't have a relationship with God until you come to embrace Jesus as one who forgives sins, who died on the cross for your punishment for sins to bring you into a relationship with God? Have you 
heard the message of God that removes the hostility, that removes the opposition, that removes the enmity, and closes the separation? The Bible says in 1 Peter that Christ died to bring us to God. He died to bring us through the separation. Have you removed the separation by bowing your knee, repenting of your sins, and trusting in Christ? Or are you still separated? Perhaps the struggle is so real because you haven't acknowledged or believed that the separation is real. Are you still trying to convince yourself that you're a good person and your problem's not you, your problem's everything else around you? Or have you believed the Bible that the problem is you? You are your worst problem when it comes to having a relationship with God. Your sinfulness, the separation. And until you learn to confess your sins, bow your knee, humble yourself before God, the struggle's going to be real because you haven't acknowledged that the separation from God is real. That's why everybody loves to say, well, things will get better, and they rarely get better. They don't get better until we bow our hearts to Christ and realize that better doesn't happen outside of us. Better happens inside of us. There's a peace inside of us that says things have gotten better. Not better around me necessarily, but better this way between me and God. I have a Father in heaven. He loves me. The separation is real. Do you know that? I want to point out to you here something fascinating. In verse 50, it says, They saw him and they were terrified, but immediately he spoke to them and he said, Take heart, it is I. And a lot of times in English we miss this. When Jesus says, take heart, it is I, you know what he's actually saying there? I am. And on Sunday nights, we've been going through the I am statement series. And the Gospel of John takes this. In the Gospel of John, there are seven I am statements, right? There's the, Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I am the true vine. Seven times, Jesus says, I am, and in saying I am, he's speaking about how he relates to us. But what's significant about that, for those of you all who, who know the Old Testament story of Moses and, and Exodus, is that God tells Moses to go to Pharaoh in Egypt and say, let my people go. And Moses, after God convinces him to go, Moses says, well, they're going to ask me who sent me. And, God, and Moses says, what's your name, God? And God says, my name is I am. In the Old Testament, y'all, God says that his name is I Am. He identifies himself as I Am. And one of the things that we see throughout the New Testament in the Gospels is that Jesus uh, uh, refers to himself as I Am. Well, for us reading in English, sometimes we don't even pick up on that. For us who don't know the Old Testament, we never pick up on that. But for these Jewish disciples who are thinking that it's a ghost, and he says, hey, take heart, don't be afraid, I am, they are hearing, that is our Jesus, that is our God. You know why they were really comforted? You know why the wind stopped? Because God had just shown up. You want the struggle to cease? You want the separation to close? Turn to God. Turn to God and His mercy and His forgiveness to you in Jesus Christ, His Son, who died for you. The struggle is real, 
The separation is real. It says here, if you look in verse 52, they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. If you were here last week and you heard the sermon on Jesus feeds the 5,000, and we read this and we think, how could they not? How in the world... Could that just happen with the five loaves and two fish and the feeding of that many people and you not get it? What did they not get? Do you know? What they didn't get is that life's about Jesus. Jesus is God. He's come. He's brought in his kingdom. Remember how Mark 1 began? The kingdom of God is here. Do you remember Jesus' first sermon, Mark 1, verse 16? The kingdom of God is here. The king is here. If Jesus is here, all is well. Not because he's made all things well around you necessarily. That day's still coming in heaven. But having Jesus means inside your heart, there is peace. Inside your life, there is peace. And all is well. To know the king is to be in the kingdom and is to truly know that it is all good and they still did not get it if you are a child of God you can embrace every single trial and adversity and know God's got me God's got me they should have seen the man walking on the on the sea and said God's got us they should have seen the the the, the loaves and the and the need for food and say Jesus has got us now don't presume upon it and just depend on him or something like that in a, in, a, in a negative way but to walk by faith and to trust in God that he will never leave you or forsake you. He will not let you down. That I am confident of this, that the God who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. The struggle is real today, but the Savior is real, and he will take care of me. And this is what they should be understanding. And you read verse 52, and it says, they didn't understand it. They, just, they didn't understand about the loaves. And this is something that's very, very, very real. And I, I hate that, that our culture has become this way. It, it's, it's very discouraging at times for a pastor. But our culture, our community, the USA, Kentucky, Louisville, Fairdale, is full of people, listen to me, who will embrace the things of God or embrace the things of Jesus, but not get Jesus. Right? If, if, if any of you gets baptized, by the way, we're going to do some bapti baptisms next Sunday. The next Sunday after that is homecoming, we're not. And then the next Sunday after that, the 16th, we'll do some more baptisms. We've got a lot of baptisms coming up. If you're wanting to be baptized and you're ready, trusting in Christ, you need to let me know so we can, we can work toward you getting baptized. But baptisms are coming up next Sunday. But if you know somebody's getting baptized, you'll have all types of people come and want to watch them and witness them and, and say to them, I'm happy for you, that's a good thing, I'm, I'm glad that's going on, but not embrace that what we're confessing is that I am surrendering to Jesus as Lord of my life. Perhaps you're here today and you were baptized because you knew that you should or thought that it would be good, but you're still not getting, you're, you're like the loaves. I, you're not getting that life's about Jesus. Folks, listen, life's not about baptism Life's not about church. Life's not about those things. Life's about Jesus. It's about Jesus. And even if he can do a miracle, even if he can do a miracle like that with the bread, 
and you see it and you think, man, God is awesome. He does those miracles. You probably hear about God doing miracles. You see it on Facebook because they put in those little videos and you love those videos. You love every video you see where God's doing something awesome in somebody's life, but it doesn't cause you to bow down and surrender to Jesus. We don't understand it. We're like them with the loaves. And you read this verse 52 at first, and you're like, they did not understand the loaves. Well, why didn't they? You mean from afternoon to night, Jesus did one miracle, and now they're scared to death again, not trusting him to do another miracle? That's exactly right. And that's us. We will celebrate what God has done. We will say that we're Christians. We'll go buy us a new Bible, get our name engraved on the front. If it's 50 bucks, 60 bucks, 70 bucks, we'll spend it on it, and then we won't read it. We don't get Jesus. It's puzzling, isn't it? But here's why. The separation is real. The hardness of our hearts is real, and you need to accept it and embrace it. When we do the response time at the end of the service, you might need to come forward and say, Josh, help me find Jesus. But if you're thinking you've got Jesus, you definitely need to skip out on the first verse and bow your head. And cry out and say, God, help me to not be like this. I don't want to continue to be in the struggle and the separation. I want to have a relationship with you, God. I want to believe you. I want to take you at your word. I want to follow you. I want to live unto you. They were astounded. They didn't understand about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. Who passed out the bread? They did. Y'all ever known anybody that goes to church and serves well, maybe a deacon and serves church and does that, but just doesn't get Jesus? You ever seen somebody that uh, puts on a face here and goes home and is cussing and fighting and acting up and doing all the bad stuff when they get out of here? You ever Yeah. We don't get Jesus. Stop being that person. Life's about Jesus. Life's about Jesus. Everywhere, at all times, it's about him. And until you admit that the separation is real and say, my life's going to be about Jesus 24-7, everywhere I go, everything I do, repenting of my sins and trusting in Christ, then you don't get it. You don't get it. Lastly, the Savior is real. Oh, let me make one more point. Turn over to Mark chapter 8, verse 14. Mark chapter 8, verse 14, on the, on the bread. I wanted to say this. Mark chapter 8, verse 14. Now they had forgotten to bring bread, and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. Imagine, we're just, we're just two chapters later, and they're out of bread again. Imagine. Now if you ran out of bread, and Jesus had just done that, you would think that you would think, think he'll do it again guys but watch mark 8 14 they had only one loaf with them in the boat verse 15 he cautioned them saying watch out beware of the leaven of the pharisees and the leaven of herod and they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread they're discussing there's not enough food and jesus aware of this said to them why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? 
Having eyes, do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000? How many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, Twelve. And the seven for the 4,000. How many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, Seven. And he said to them, Do you not yet understand? The separation is so real. It's just right after that, and they still don't get it. The reason why there are so many people going to church and yet not living their lives for Jesus is because they're missing the main point. You are separated from God in your sinful, hard hearts. And you need to bow down and say, God, please, God, give me a new heart. Make me new. Change me. You need to get saved and realize that life's all about Jesus. Now, back to Mark 6, and we'll move to our third and final point, that the Savior is real. And I'm not going to be able to show this as well from Mark chapter 6. But I do want you to see that Jesus comes, they're scared, he's there, he calms things down, he gets in the boat, he says, don't be afraid, take heart, it's me, it is I, I am, right? So in their struggle, in their separation, in their being scared, he comes and makes it all well. You see that? Well, I want to show it even a little bit better back in the passage that Austin read, Matthew 14. So turn back to Matthew 14. Same story, but Matthew tells us a little bit more. And if you, if you know the story, you know that Peter, the, the, the most bold of all the disciples wanted to walk on water too. I'm not sure if you remember that. But at Matthew 14, you need to see this, at verse 28, when Jesus had walked up and said, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid, Peter answers, Matthew 14, 28, and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Nice challenge. That's how Peter was, right? Everybody else is just... Uh, taken back in all that this man is walking on water as if that's not amazing enough. And Peter's the one who says, I, I want to do that too. And if it really is you, Jesus, tell me that I can come. Because he knows that if God tells you to walk on water, you can walk on water no matter how heavy you are or whether you can swim or not. God can make you walk on water. So he says, 29, come. One word. He didn't make it conditional or anything like that. He said, okay, come on. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. Verse 30. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. You're wrong if you take this story and emphasize that he walked on water. You're wrong if you take this story and miss the point that he started looking at the wind instead of looking at Jesus. You're right if you see the key to the whole thing is Jesus. Whether you sink or swim, whether you live or die, whether you end up in heaven or hell is going to depend on you and Jesus. I can't say it any more clear, any more bold, any more real. You must embrace the Savior. He took his eyes off Jesus. He put his eyes on the wind. 
He got scared because of that. He cried out, Lord, save me. Verse 31, Jesus immediately reached out his hand, took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you have little faith, why did you doubt? Verse 32, and when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Look at verse 33. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. In other words, the Savior is real. In your struggle, have you admitted that your need for God and your separation from Him is real? And therefore, have you embraced the Savior? Is Christ your Savior? Or are you making headway painfully because Christ is still back on land and you're still trying to go. In that song we just sang, we said, I will not boast in anything, no gifts, no power, no wisdom, but I will boast in Jesus Christ, His death and resurrection. Why should I gain from his reward? I cannot give an answer. But this I know with all my heart. His wounds have paid my ransom. I need a savior. I need something to help me. I need a Lord. I need a God. I need a Father in heaven that is where your heart should be. Today, would you trust in Christ? Resolve to turn away from your sinfulness? And would you follow Jesus? Let's pray. Father, thank you that an awesome story of Jesus walking on water can be so instructional to us because we struggle. But God, we don't do justice to the biblical truth if we just say that life's hard and it's a struggle because we always want to pick our head up. We must admit that we're the problem. We're not always the problem for our struggles, but we are always a problem. Oh Lord, lead us to repentance. Have mercy upon us. God, move in our hearts that we would embrace Christ and your love for us, knowing that you will forgive anybody that comes to you. And we ask for this, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.